Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Yukon Internal Medicine Ambulatory Podcast. I'm Katie Klibanoff Dombrowski, a second year internal medicine resident, here to discuss this week's topic, racism. Today we'll define race and racism, understand how racism affects health, learn how to respond to racism in clinical encounters as an upstander, and learn about anti-racism. Part one. First and foremost, let's discuss some definitions. Race is a social construct that organizes people based on skin color and physical appearance. This really is only skin deep, as it is a poor proxy for biology and genetics. Racism is the practice of assigning value based on someone's physical appearance or race. In doing so, it provides both unfair disadvantages to some and unfair advantages to others. As a result, Racism truly harms society on a whole by excluding very capable people on the basis of appearance. Dr. Camera Jones posited a framework to better define racism on three levels. The institutional level, personally mediated, and internalized racism. Institutional racism, also known as structural racism, is embedded in the laws and regulations of a society or organization. It manifests as discrimination in areas of the criminal justice system, employment, housing, education, political representation, and healthcare, the crux of this discussion. In doing so, it reinforces ways to perpetuate racial inequality within public policy, institutional practice, cultural representation, and other norms. It speaks to the racial inequality throughout history that has afforded privilege to whiteness and disadvantage to color. Structural racism is not necessarily a conscious choice of individuals or institutions, but instead represents the insidious perpetuation of beliefs and cultural ramifications that we need to choose to overcome and overturn. Personally mediated racism is possibly the type of racism with which we are most familiar. It involves perpetuator and victim in the act of discrimination and prejudice. Discrimination can be intentional or unintentional. It can include acts of commission or granting powers to authority or omission, the act of exclusion. Examples here range from the hypervigilance of a shopkeeper to the extremities of police brutality and hate crimes. Internalized racism occurs when members of the stigmatized race accept the negative messages perpetuated by society and act according to that stigma. By accepting limitations, inhibiting and stifling determination, self-expression, and identity, it serves to destroy an individual's sense of value. Part 2. How does racism affect health? Let's first look at the data. It is well documented that socioeconomic status is a strong predictor of health disparities and has often been viewed as the main culprit for racial inequality in health. Socioeconomic status is multifaceted and not limited to income and wealth, but refers to education level and occupational status. Both historic racism and current racial disparities serve to hinder socioeconomic status at each of these levels and continues to be a fundamental cause of racial inequalities in general and within the healthcare system. Historical racism and its legacy continue to affect the socioeconomic landscape today. Segregation has been illegal since the Fair Housing Act of 1968 but it still prevails and the basic structures have remained in place since its inception.
For example, neighborhoods founded during segregation still persist, increasing psychosocial and physical stressors as it is related to housing conditions and exposure to violence, crime, and pollution, and lack of access to quality services ranging from healthy foods to medical care. Unfortunately, income and wealth are not equitable among different races. In 2016, for every dollar of income that white households received, Hispanics earned 73 cents to the dollar and blacks earned 61 cents. Racial differences in wealth are even more extreme. For every dollar of wealth that white households have, Hispanic have 7 cents and blacks have 6 cents. Wealth impacts access to money, healthy foods, premier health services, and the ability to travel for these facets of life that have unfortunately become luxuries. The CDC has recognized this inequality, recently granting $1.7 million for research on racism led by Howard University's Dr. Monica Ponder and UCLA's Dr. Chandra Ford to reach historically marginalized and disadvantaged populations during the COVID-19 public health crisis. There is growing evidence that self-reported discrimination is associated with poor mental and physical health. It has been associated with preclinical indicators of disease, including increased allostatic load, which is the cumulative burden of chronic stress and life events, inflammation, shorter telomere length, coronary artery calcification, dysregulation of cortisol, and greater oxidative stress. Therefore, even for those with higher socioeconomic status, the stressors of racism and discrimination unfortunately still prevail. It is important to help minimize and eradicate racism on all levels. Part 3 helps us to explore how we do so in clinical encounters by acting as an upstander, especially as it relates to the medical trainee. An upstander is quite simply just that, a person who stands up, speaks out, or takes action to defend those who are targeted for harm or injustice. Unfortunately, the mistreatment of trainees by patients and others in the hospital setting is not uncommon. Fortunately, there have been several frameworks developed to assist bystanders to act as an upstander. In doing so, the hope is to provide support of those being mistreated and to help foster a bias-free environment. You'll see that these tactics are not just applicable to the medical trainee, but can be applied to wider audiences as well. The ERASE framework is created by researchers at the Yale School of Medicine. ERASE is an acronym which arms providers and staff members with strategies to help recognize and respond to mistreatment by patients. E is to expect that mistreatment will happen. This enables anticipation and the ability to be proactive if an event occurs. R is to recognize when that mistreatment occurs. It's not just the recognition of overt slurs, but maybe more subtle forms of racism. A is to address the situation in real time as the event is unfolding. This establishes that the behavior will not be tolerated. S is to support the person after the event. This is where debriefing is imperative. And E is to establish a positive culture. This speaks for itself. By following the ERASE framework, we can help eradicate negative behavior and develop positive ones in its place. Stop, Talk, and Roll is another framework. It was created for medical students at Georgetown School of Medicine. It serves as an algorithm to address discrimination within the clinical setting. Stop the conversation immediately when an event occurs. 
talk to the attending physician, to peers, or leadership to gain support and guidance. And then roll, which is to ascertain the safety of the event moving forward to determine the need for further intervention. The action model is directed at how to effectively respond to microaggressions and discrimination. First, ask clarifying questions regarding the person's comment. These questions should come from a place of curiosity, not judgment. Then those who are targeted should talk and share what they observed and share the impact it had. This enables the target to process the event, own their thoughts, and educate others, including the perpetuator, other bystanders, and upstanders. Finally, targets should move on to the next steps, which may include reporting the events or seeking support. I'm not sure that this is meant to be an acronym, but remember, ask, be curious, talk to impact others, and move on to the next steps. The OWTFD tool is a little more cumbersome of an acronym, but shown to be highly effective. O is for observing the situation. W is for asking, what does the other person mean? T is for formulating an I think sentence to help with interpretation. F is for expressing feelings. And D is for stating desire to move forward. These frameworks are important to know and utilize. The prevalence of discrimination amongst trainees is present, and unfortunately there is not a shortage of evidence to support this. Multiple studies have explored the way in which racism and discrimination affects minority trainees. Dr. Ross, a Yale psychiatrist, analyzed the Medical Student Performance Evaluation, or MSPE, for 6,000 U.S. medical students applying to 16 different residency programs at Yale during the 2014 and 2015 academic year. The study analyzed textual evidence used to describe a medical school applicant. They found that black medical students are more frequently described as competent, which is less likely to have positive connotation, in comparison with their white counterparts, who are more likely to be described as outstanding or exceptional. Another study focused on racial disparities in the induction of medical students into the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society. This study involved nearly 5,000 U.S. medical students from 123 different U.S. allopathic schools applying to 12 different residency programs during the 2014-2015 academic year as well. After controlling for USMLE's Step 1 scores, publications, community service involvement, leadership roles, and the goal to humanism membership, it was found that black medical students were six times less likely than white medical students to have been inducted into the AOA Honor Society. Another study conducted interviews with 27 minority resident physicians across 21 different residency programs, asking about the impact of racism, racism within their training experience. The results revealed that minority residents experienced near daily racial comments from patients or colleagues or felt the pressure to perform better. Part four, anti-racism. So now that we have learned about race, the three levels of racism, how racism affects our patients' health and our trainees, some tactics on how to cope with it, it's important to discuss actions to counter racism. Anti-racism was founded on the idea that all racial groups deserve equal opportunity. It requires persistent self-awareness, 
constant self-criticism, and regular self-examination. Our societal structure has been built in favor of whiteness. Without a conscious effort to support and uphold aspects of anti-racism, we are allowing unequal institutions and the concept of supremacy to unfairly persist. Anti-racism needs to fight against all planes of racism, on structural or institutional levels, on interpersonal levels, and on internalized levels. We must do so in a conscious and concerted effort to undo racism presently and the ramifications of its past. This lends itself to great opportunity to act and move forward. Let's discuss some examples on how to combat racism on each of these levels. Anti-racism on an interpersonal level. This is perhaps where physicians can create the most change and have the greatest impact. Our jobs are built upon communication and interaction. We must be vigilant of racism as it affects our peers and our patients. Speak against these instances and provide solace, empathy, and support when they do. Anti-racism on an institutional level. This is perhaps the most daunting level to try and create change. But we must remember that the voice of physicians holds weight and as a result enables the possibility to act as a positive advocate to promote positive change in the office culture, hospital culture, and even as far as our national culture. Anti-racism on an internalized level. This occurs with repeated episode of interpersonal racism, whether in the form of microaggressions or other overt instances. This is unfortunately allowed to reside within the constructs of institutional racism and interpersonal racism. We should strive to eradicate these facets, but can target internalized racism more specifically as well. Here we can help to change the dialogue by promoting campaigns like Black is Beautiful that counter images of white-centric beauty and create positivity around the Black image. These efforts and all efforts to combat racism are imperative to foster a positive self-image for those who have been marginalized today and historically. Zero-tolerance hospital policies of discrimination or mistreatment will help to undo racism one episode at a time. Remember that the principle of anti-racism can be applied to anyone that is targeted in a negative or demeaning way, and that racism harms us all it impairs the ability of our whole society to fulfill its true potential. We must all act together and fight for equity among humankind while celebrating diversity and promoting inclusion. So remember, sticks and stones can break bones, but words can very much hurt too. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. See you next week.